0: people turn the God of grace and truth into a God of something less. Two absolutes of Jesus, truth and grace. And he was able to amazingly bring these two together perfectly he spoke to people truthfully but he did it with grace and you have to have both and one without the other is heresy grace without truth is leniency anything goes and that makes God cringe and then truth without grace is legalism you know I'm right and usually in an ugly way and that makes God cringe what makes God cringe is when Christians abuse Christianity whether it be leniency or legalism Two weeks ago, I suggested that the number one value in America today is tolerance, but it's a new kind of tolerance. The classic definition is that you accept a person without necessarily accepting their beliefs or lifestyle. The classic definition contains both truth and grace. The new definition is you have to accept the person and approve of the lifestyle or beliefs, you know, whatever it might be. The new tolerance says there's no right or wrong, and that tolerance extends to all groups except for those who hold that There's absolutes. And the new tolerance will not tolerate the absolutes of Jesus who claims to be the only way to God. So we are foreigners and strangers in this land. And how do we live here? How do we respond to it? How do we hold the convictions in a society that won't allow convictions? How, how can we be Christians that show grace without compromising truth? You know, That's the issue we dealt with last week in Daniel, knowing how to take a stand in a gracious and attractive way. There's been two extreme responses that have been used by the church through history, and these are the extremes. One is to give in and bend our beliefs to the culture and make them more acceptable. That's the grace gone crazy without truth. You know, can't we just all get along? That's the response of classic liberalism. The opposite extreme is to fight back. and This would be the conservative response, and we, we attempt to force America back to a Christian worldview and force society to Put God back in his rightful place and use political means and rallies and protests and letters to senators, and we got to restore the Christian consensus in our nation. And neither of these approaches has worked very well. The Bible says, Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. In other words, give some serious thought to how you're going to relate to this world. We've been doing that all this month, and last week in Daniel, we saw that he was willing to participate in the culture in Babylon, and yet he did so without compromising his identity as a believer. And we looked at his wisdom, his courage, and his grace in deciding where to take a stand and where not to. And if you missed last week or the week before, both of those, I think, are critical to our understanding the world we live in and how we relate to this world. So you can get on the website or get a CD of that message. Our text today is from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.2 gives what I think is the primary key to engaging our world in both truth and grace. He says, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us. Pretty simple. It's a simplistic answer, of course. First Corinthians 13, Paul calls it the most excellent way. He says, "Well, come on. Weber, can't you come up with something a little more profound than that? No. In fact, I think this is profound. And what makes this love profound is that phrase, to love as Christ loved We're not talking about the sentimental, squishy, soft love that most people think of. We're talking about loving like Christ did. And when I look at him, there's four things that love will not do. And so as we engage our culture, and as we live in this foreign land, engaging in love, here's four things that love won't do. It won't ignore the truth. When Jesus encountered a Samaritan woman in John 4... He broke down the sex barrier, he broke down the ethnic barrier, he broke down the religious barrier, he broke down the moral barrier, and he treats her as a valuable person. He loved her, he was very tolerant in that way, but, and here's where he's different than the tolerance of today, he did not ignore her self-destructive lifestyle. He said, go get your husband, and she said, I have no husband, he said, yeah, you're right. Uh, when you say you have no husband. In fact, is you've had five, have had five, and the man you're with now is not your husband. So Jesus doesn't ignore the truth. He's actually pretty blunt. And here's where the new tolerance would say, well, he's a bigot and arrogant because Jesus refused to accept her behavior as is. The new tolerance would say it's just her choice and no one has a right to say anything about it. It's kind of like the child that says, Mom, if you love me, you'd let me do whatever I want to do. And Mom says something like, Sonny, it's because I love you. I don't let you do everything you want to do. What's the opposite of love? It's not hate. It's indifference. Go ahead, do what you want. I won't interfere. Don't get involved. That's really the opposite of love. If little Johnny wants to go out and play in the traffic. What's a loving thing to do? Interfere. Stop him, okay? He's going to get hurt. The new, def- new tolerance definition of love is really indifference. Go ahead Do whatever. You know, the mantra today is whatever, you know, or my generation, let it be. You know, you do your own thing, I'll do mine. Go ahead, let your life go to hell. I don't care. That love? That's really what the new tolerance is. It really is I don't have to care for you. Just live and let live. I'm okay. You're okay. Have you seen the commercial? I love this. Where the guy is with this pretty girl on a date, and the big question, his big dilemma is should I be truthful and tell her about that thing in her teeth? Have you seen that? It's great. Now, if I have something in my teeth, please tell me, all right? Or if my fly is unzipped, please tell me. I'll be embarrassed by that. I won't like it, but it's the loving thing to go to do. I need to know the truth. It's easier to say nothing. It's easier to not get involved. You know, love is actually tougher. It, it says some tough things. I will plead with you to follow a different way if I, if I believe, because I believe you're worth the risk and the effort. So tolerance is safe. It's less offensive. But it's not really love, because love won't ignore the truth. Another thing I see in Jesus when he walked on earth, it won't administer condemnation on sinners. Now, Zacchaeus was a sinner that he met, just like the Samaritan woman. He was greedy. He extorted people. Uh, Jesus doesn't excuse him for that or ignore that truth. But nowhere in that account does Jesus speak a word of criticism to him, which he could have. Rather, he said, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house. I want to spend some time with you. Be your friend. And Zacchaeus responds, and eventually, because he met Jesus, it changed his life. He said, I'll give half my money to the poor and pay back four times anyone that I've cheated. Jesus did not condemn him. He just built a relationship with him, and it opened the door. And there's no doubt that Zacchaeus had been rebuked regularly by the religious leaders of his day. They pointed out his sin. They told him what he was doing wrong. But condemning him did not change him. And I wonder, these religious leaders, if they ever went to Zacchaeus' home for a visit. I wonder if they ever fellowshiped with him. I wonder how many of the religious leaders tried to become his friend. Now, Jesus did condemn, of course, and there is a place for it. But when you look at the times when Jesus condemns, most of the time he's condemning people like us religious people because they were condemning others Romans 12 Paul says do not repay anyone for evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone <laughs> this is a great way to engage our culture do not take revenge my friends but but leave room for god's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord on the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink, and doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Even though we cannot commend wrongdoing, we won't ignore the truth, nor should we administer condemnation. That's really God's job. Third thing: love won't ignore people's needs. Jesus, when you look at him, he looked beyond the fault and saw the need behind the fault. The Samaritan woman's deepest need was for the living water that Jesus had, and she tried to quench her thirst with men. Um, Jesus went beyond the sin. He got to the reason behind the sin. When, when a woman goes to an abortion doctor, it's not that she wants to do something horrific against a human life. That's not her motivation. There's a reason. There's a need there. And we need to be willing to address the need and not just the behavior. When we start going into the world and we say, you know, we're going to stand beside you. We're going to stand with you. Uh, We're going to help you in our need. That's when conversations will open up and we'll start building bridges. William Barclay said more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. And more people have been driven from the church by the hardness and ugliness of so-called Christianity than by all the doubts in the world. So let me ask, when's the last time you had a non-church person in your home? Could I challenge you to consider that? Not to convert them, just to talk. Become a friend. Be a Jesus to them. And then the fourth thing love won't do, it won't be passive. Often we think of good Christians as someone who doesn't break the law. We mind our own business. We don't cheat. I, you know, I don't beat my wife. I don't steal. I, I don't cause ripples. You know, If I live a nice life, if I sit in church, put my money in the plate, and take communion, the world will see the light of Christ through me. No. Love actively seeks people out. Jesus went into the world. He went into people's homes. He invited himself in. He was aggressive. He started conversations. You know, passive love... Minding your own business is not love. In fact, that's an oxymoron, passive love. There's no such thing. We cannot love the world by hibernating. Now, the new tolerance says, live and let live. I'm okay, you're okay, and because we're nice and I I don't hit my neighbor and I don't gossip, then that makes us loving. No, it's just passive indifference. You see two young people in love. It's always fun to watch, isn't it? They just do foolish things. I mean, There's a book called Crazy Love. It's a great title. Young people in love, they'll spend money they wouldn't normally spend. They'll travel great distances. They just act goofy. Now, some little kids were asked about love and marriage, and one little boy said, you know, all that love stuff is just foolish. And he's right. Shakespeare said, God made woman beautiful and foolish, beautiful that man might love her, and foolish that she might love him. Right? Well, he's right. Love is foolish. And I want you to listen to a description of love in the early church and just think, most of us would be considered foolish if we did these things. From widows they do not turn away for their esteem, and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes. That's dangerous. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is in prison or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if there's among any of them that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. That's foolish. I'm not going to give up a meal for the poor. They're a bunch of lazy bums anyway. Crazy love. So what do we do? How should we then live in light of Jesus' love. I'm just going to suggest two things. First of all, aggressively live in love. I will aggressively pursue you, serve you. I I will have you in my home. I will help with your kids. I will give money when it's needed. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to go out of my way to build a bridge to you. Now, some might think it's foolish, but how foolish was it for God to send his son to this earth? One of the big, big Disney movies uh, in the last well, recently, has been Frozen, and it's actually my eight-year-old granddaughter's favorite song and favorite music. She'll just sing, let it go, let it go, you know. Now, in case you haven't heard the movie uh, or seen the movie, Frozen is a story of two sisters, Anna and Elsa, both their princesses in the kingdom, and Elsa's been born with magical powers. She's taught to conceal these powers by wearing gloves and living a sequestered life, and she's cut off from the outside world, including cut off from her little sister, Anna. Once these powers are accidentally unleashed, Elsa runs away from her kingdom. Anna goes after her, runs after her. Now, this movie's grossed something like half a billion dollars so far. And after I watched the movie and, and that song, and I thought about that song, it struck me how antithetical to the film's message is the main song, which just happens to be every eight-year-old girl's favorite song right now in America. Let It Go is performed by Elsa after she flees the kingdom, and she decides to unleash her power. She creates an ice castle in order to live out her days in lonely, lovely, freezing isolation, And during this song, she sheds the symbol of her previous confinement. You know, braids give way to flowing blonde trestles, her modest outfit to a more sultry dress, complete with high heels. Her attitude goes from from demure obedience to rebellion. She just throws off the shackles of expectations. I'm going to play part of that song for you right now. Okay, that's enough of that. I've heard that song so many times. Let it go, let it go, can't hold back anymore, turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. The fears that once control me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. In some ways, it's a, it has a good message, okay, kind of, you know, definition of freedom. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Well, that's stupid definition of freedom. But anyway, here's the thing. Let it go is not the point of the movie at all. The point of the movie is love between two sisters, which ultimately allows Elsa to learn to use her powers for good. It's not let it go, do your own thing. Yeah, she needs to stop concealing, not feeling. She needs to not be closed in by others. There are some good things like that, as the song says. But she also needs to come back to the responsibilities of her kingdom and learn to really love. Anna, the... Anna, the strange little sister who pursues Elsa at great risk to her own life, is really the hero. If you watch it, she is the hero because of love. She refuses to let Elsa go, aggressively pursuing her. But the pop cultural takeaway from Frozen can be summed up in those three words, let it go, as if all our problems will be solved if we just be true to ourselves, throwing responsibilities and expectations aside, you know, just let it go. Well, a similar thing happened, and this is for you older people, you in your 20s and 30s, Uh, with Lion King, okay? And same thing, a young prince runs away from his kingdom after the death of his father. He encounters some cute and amusing jungle animals, and they sing this fabulously catchy song. We'll just play a little bit of it, okay? Let's hear it. Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata, ain't no passing craze. It means no days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata? Yeah, it's our motto. What's the motto? Nothing. What's the motto with you? <laughs> you know what? These two words will solve all your problems. That's right. Take Pumba, for example. Okay. Why? Enough of that. I know, you'd rather watch that and listen to me, so would I. But anyway, uh, Hakuna Matata, these two words will solve all your problems. Now, people still use that phrase today, which comes from Swahili. We can't can translate it, no worries. 20 years ago, it was as if the entire nation was relieved that we shouldn't worry and embrace this problem-free philosophy. But again, the song's message of shedding responsibility is really overturned by the movie's storyline. The young prince Simba is... Con- Uh, confronted by his old friend Nala who urges him to return to his suffering kingdom and face the responsibility. So the main song is not the message of the movie at all. Let it go. No worries. But the message of the movie is love and responsibility. If we truly let it go and no worries there'd be no love. None. I'm not going to stop my grandkids from singing these songs. At the end of the day these lyrics are parts of two movies that have some positive messages But I want my kids to pay attention not to just a catchy tune. I want them to see the story so that their real lives are not defined by hakuna matata or let it go, but rather by acting toward others aggressively in love, aggressively like God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. The other aspect of engaging our world I would suggest is humbly stand for truth. Because I love you, I will point to the truth about anything that threatens your well-being, your relationship to God and to others. Because I love you, I will share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, even if our culture forbids it. One of the tough areas for this, for ministers, is weddings. Sometimes we get asked to do weddings of people that, frankly, are not ready. They should not get married. And ministers sometimes have to refuse to do weddings. One minister did that. He told the couple that he thought their wedding was a mistake. They were not ready. And the young woman began to cry. and The young man got angry. He said, I thought pastors were here to help people, but you made her cry. And the pastor said, son, I am helping you. I'm telling you the truth. And if you don't like the truth, you should go somewhere where people will tell you what you want to hear and lie to you. What is the loving thing to do? Just marry them so they can go through hell on earth? I've done those weddings. Where couples were miserable, and they're miserable afterwards, but I didn't want to hurt their feelings. It's tough to tell a couple they're not ready. But what's the loving thing to do? Critical word is humbly. It means that I recognize, admit, that I have some areas of untruth in my life as well. I'm on a journey just like you. I don't place myself above you. I place myself alongside of you humbly standing for truth in an aggressively loving way. What if everyone in this church decided to invite non-Christian people over just to get to know them? What if everyone decided we need to enlarge our circle of friends? What if we befriended people outside of our circle? What if everyone here selected even one person that they know is outside of Jesus said, I'm going to love that person? What if we were aggressive in love and humble in truth? It's not the easiest way to do church, but it is the right way, the excellent way, and it's the only way to engage our culture as Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus and what he did for us on Calvary and coming to this world. And I pray that we will be motivated to live a life of love just as Christ loved us, it's easier to be indifferent. It's easier to live and let live. It's easier to just go home and tend to my own little world. I pray today you'd help us to see people as you see them. Help us to go into the world making disciples. I pray for your spirit to come on us to renew our passion aggressively, be active in love, and humbly standing for truth. In Jesus I pray.